What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. With NBA Media Day and the opening of training camp around the corner, I'll break down the winners and losers of the offseason with our Hoops Hype salary cap expert and my main man, Yossi Goslin. And I'll also bring on our Hoops Hype social media manager and Euro Hoops writer Dionysus Aravantinos to break down the Eurobasket tournament later on in the second half of our podcast episode. But first and foremost, I've got Yossi with me on the pod, and we're going to break down some of these offseason winners and losers. Yossi, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Mike. It's good to be back and should be. Uh, I'm excited for this season. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and I, I'm certainly looking forward to media day. I think of all the places I'm looking forward to it happening most is probably in Brooklyn. A lot of questions that need to be answered there. But we still got time for that. Um, now that the Donovan Mitchell trade happened, I thought it would be a good idea to break down the offseason winners and losers. And a couple teams for me came to mind, Yossi, when I was thinking of offseason winners. Um I, I in no particular order, um, but I guess you know what. Since I mentioned Donovan Mitchell, I'll, I'll I'll start with the Cavaliers. Actually, to to me, the the Cleveland Cavaliers getting Donovan Mitchell was a home run swing for them, and I liked it. But I think what's being overlooked a little bit is Ricky Rubio's return. He had a great impact on Kevin Love last year, and he also has a good relationship with Donovan Mitchell and helped him develop when he was younger. And when he's healthy, he showed what he could do last year for Cleveland. He closed out games and was a really good backup point guard. Um, You know, as we touched on previously on the Hoopside podcast with Chris Fedor, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio is expected to come back sometime in January or February. It's almost like a, a nice midseason addition for them if they can get him back healthy. And I thought the addition of Robin Lopez as a backup center was really good for the contract he got. Um, Colin Sexton wasn't a fit there anymore. And, you know, Lowry Markinen is a good player, but you got to give to get when you're going to give up Donovan. Uh, you're going to get Donovan Mitchell. They gave up draft picks, but. I, with Donovan Mitchell and that young core, they should be good enough where those draft picks aren't going to be high lottery picks, barring something unforeseen. I think Utah, you know, is certainly hoping that Donovan leaves at some point so those picks become better. But that's down the line. I like the home run swing from from Cleveland there. Um, a couple other teams stuck out to me, Yossi. I, I thought the Philadelphia 76ers had a nice offseason. I thought... Getting James Harden on the short-term deal that they got him on while taking less money to allow them to get P.J. Tucker, who I think is going to bring toughness and three-point shooting to them while weakening the front court for the Miami Heat, which is getting a little bit underrated right now. Uh, getting DeAnthony Melton uh, to, to add depth to the backcourt. Uh, Daniel House is a shooter. And Montrez Howell coming off the bench as a big man. Uh with the prior relationships with Doc Rivers, with the Clippers, and Daryl Morey um, separately, I think that they seem to find a way to always get a good big man to back up Joel Embiid. Um, and they need to, because given his injury history. So I thought they had a great offseason. Um, great job by Daryl Morey overall, in my opinion there. 
um, cementing them as, in my opinion, a top three or four team in the East. Um, and then I looked at, I thought Boston getting Malcolm Brogdon was a good move for a relatively low cost. And I liked the Danilo Gallinari signing before he got hurt. Now, you know, obviously Gallinari getting hurt in uh, Eurobasket was a tough loss for them. But overall, I still like what they did. Gives them depth behind Marcus Smart um, and, and and strengthens that team. Um, the other team that stuck out to me, maybe wouldn't be necessarily a winner to some people, but to me, I thought, yo, see, the Utah Jazz finally starting a rebuild, a full rebuild at that, by trading away their two best players was the right thing to do because they peaked. And there's more moves to come for this team. Obviously, a lot of executives around the league are expecting uh, Boyan Bogdanovich to be the next guy for the Utah Jazz that gets moved. Um, They are keeping tabs on guys like Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, but Boyan Bogdanovich is kind of the next domino that most people think is going to fall for Utah. So those are some teams that stuck out to me, brother. I'm curious what you thought of them and, you know, if there was maybe some that uh, you had as well that that I did not mention as some some winners of this offseason. So for the most part, I agree with just about all those teams you mentioned. If you want to look at the teams that got the most addition, uh, that had the biggest winning offseason by the additions they had, then it's definitely the Cavaliers and the Sixers. Uh, so I think with the Sixers, I really like what they did. Uh, Daryl Morey, I think he did a great job just finding the some of the best players available in this free agent class. Not a great free agent class when you look at who is available the best players that moved teams were like Jalen Brunson, Colin Sexton. And then you get to some of the guys that the Sixers got and PJ Tucker, Daniel house. They'll bring some defensive versatility. They bring some uh, good three point shooting Melton too. It's interesting. Maury has been, he hasn't had a guy quite like Melton since Patrick Beverly in Houston. And obviously he had Chris Paul and he, uh, you know, he got Chris Paul instead, which is as good as it gets, but uh, finally got that defensive minded guard that can let the Sixers play some smaller lineups and, you know, give some, give them some, if they want, if they want to play, uh, he could, he could probably guard some bigger guys if they have want to do some really small lineups. And so I really like the team that they're putting around Embiid. I think this is the best roster he's ever going to have played with. Uh, Mantras Harrell, great for racking up regular season wins. Um, and uh, with James Harden, I think, Look, he got a lot of criticism last year when he stopped playing like at an all like a, an elite level, and I think a big part of that was the amount of money he was making, making close to fifty million a year. Now he's making like thirty four million, thirty three million. So if he isn't going to get back to that elite level, or even even if he's like at a sub all star level, I don't think that that uh like that narrative or that discourse is going to be as heightened mainly because he's not making like such a big salary, but also because they have Tyrese Maxey and he looks like he could be an all-star soon, maybe as soon as this season. So I love what the Sixers did. I'm expecting them. I have them as my prediction to be first place in the East. Um, I think it's going to be a big year for Embiid. And so I, I, I would say like definitely as far as like adding players, they definitely improved the most uh, Cleveland. Cleveland, 
same thing. Uh, getting Donovan Mitchell finally is going to put them to at least an above average offense. They were not; they were pretty below average last year, and he's definitely going to help with that. I'm not too. I don't think I'm worried about their defense, especially in the regular season. They should be fine. Uh, maybe in the playoffs they could run into some issues, but as, you know, I don't think they'll 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 you know make the improvements later if needed. Uh, you uh, let's see. So they got Ricky Rubio back. So they're always going to have some really good playmaking between Mitchell Garland, and they still have Levert. They're always going to have a really good playmaker, and depending how they want to play these guys, they can always have some really good secondary playmakers at all time. And then when Rubio comes back, they're just going to be flushed with playmakers. Maybe if they're going to look to uh, make some additions on the roster, they could look to move uh, one of those guys like Levert, for example. Um, And, you know, as far as the Mitchell trade, I think now it's gotten to the point with all these all-star trades for draft picks that seems like when a team is ready to make that step into being a much stronger competitive team draft pick seems like just the means to get to that point. And it's an interesting trend we're seeing. It'll be interesting to see how that, uh, how that uh, looks like five years from now, 10 years from now, the only cycle we really saw of that was from the Brooklyn Boston trade back in 2013. And we saw obviously not the greatest example because Brooklyn got a pretty terrible package and the Celtics immediately got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown from that. All these all star when the, all these trades involving all these picks are involving all stars. So it's it most likely like in at least half these trades, the picks aren't going to be like super valuable. Like my fe- my feeling, and I guess the biggest risk for the Cavaliers is I'm sure people have it in the back of their minds. Will Mitchell stay long term? He's gonna he's got a I believe four years left on his deal, and I'm not too worried about that anymore, especially when you look at what just happened with the Nets and James Harden. The Nets gave up so much to get James Harden, and then they do the trade to Philly. And did they recoup all the value? I mean, I don't know, but they definitely got a lot considering the situation that they were in when he wanted out so quickly. And the you know if Ben Simmons plays really well, then they definitely recoup the value, if not more. So I'm yeah, I'm not too worried about that aspect of like the loss of picks and you know if something changes, then they could trade them later on but for now the Cavaliers are going to be a very good team uh I don't you know they might not might take some time for them to get to like a championship level type roster but they're going to be really good they're going to make the they should make the playoffs every year and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch um yeah Jazz I would put the Spurs in that same category for finally entering a rebuild uh I always like when a team like just knows when to hit the reset button and they got excellent returns for Mitchell and Gobert, And it'll be exciting to see where they go from there. Uh, Celtics. I think they're winners mainly by continuity. I think they're going to be monsters in the regular season. Not too crazy about the Brogdon addition. He should definitely help in the regular season, assuming he plays enough games can't say the Celtics were Brogdon away from winning the championship. I don't think he was going to stop uh, Steph Curry from going crazy in that game four, but I, I'm still expecting the Celtics to be the favorite. I would put them in the finals right now. I think what kind of gets overlooked a little bit is uh, you look at them and with Brogdon, he, you know, he's had injury trouble, but if he's going to have 
a little bit of a lesser role certainly than when he had in Indiana. Um, I, I think that'll on paper at least help him stay healthy. Um, you know, I, I was curious, you being out there in LA, what did you think of, uh, like what the LA teams did out there? So I, yeah, my, the one other winner we didn't get to, in my opinion, or the Clippers, I think they really maximized what they were able to do as far as their spending. They brought in John Wall, who I'm really excited to see how he fits there. He was, I thought he was playing really well for the Rockets uh, in the last season he was playing. Obviously he hasn't played for a year. So until we see, uh, you know, we got, we still got to see how he looks now after taking a year off, but I'm, I think he's going to be a great fit there. I love the addition. Uh, but most of all, I'm just excited to see how this Clippers team looks because this is like the most versatile team in history. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be missing some, but off the top of my head, they're always going to be playing these six, nine at all time, five out lineups uh, other than the times that they play Zubox, uh, Zubach. Uh, maybe they'll find another backup center to replace Hardenstein, but even if they do, it feels like they just want to be playing these super versatile all-wing lineups. So I think they're my title favorite right now, even though, yeah, you know, Kawhi Leonard just missed a whole year. We'll have to see how he looks. Um, but I think he's going to come out strong. He was unbelievable in the 2021 20, playoffs right before he got hurt. And I think they got, they just had a perfect off season given uh, what they're able to do. So they're the one, they're definitely winners. Lakers, obviously still a uh, TBD Uh, at the same time. I don't know what they could do to like really be considered like huge winners. They definitely haven't improved. Hadn't like, I guess you could give a most improved off season compared to what they did last year by uh, taking signing all these younger guys. I guess the biggest thing they did was add a lot more athleticism with these younger guys. So, you know, they'll do better uh, boxing out, uh, you know, closing out on guys, all the little things, hustle plays. Uh, But, you know, shooting's still an issue. Um, Playmaking will still be an issue. So I think there's still somewhat TBD because the Westbrook potential trade domino is is a big domino that, may or may not fall. Um, but now I'm just kind of going as if I don't, it doesn't seem like it's going to fall. So I'm just looking at the roster as it is, even though for the longest time we're thinking this is not going to be the roster, but I'm just, I think uh, it's just been so long. I feel like this is they're gonna, what they're going to roll, roll into, into the season with. Well, well, while we're still kind of waiting on them, I think there's some teams that we can classify as an off season loser at this point. Um, Let's start with, well, I think first and foremost, um, Charlotte with the the Charlotte Hornets due to Miles Bridges' legal incident, I, that's a killer, Be, on and off the court. Right. Um, obviously, a really unfortunate and disheartening situation, but um, from a basketball standpoint, they're losing a guy who, you know. You could have made a case that was one of the most improved players in the league last year. Fits he was with getting LaMelo. some all-star consideration at some point. He fits in with LaMelo and those guys, and now that's all in limbo, uh, to say the least. I think, uh, you know, similarly, you could look at the Phoenix Suns with the Robert Sarver situation that's uh, 
it was hanging over them last season. And now that it's happened, uh, there's been a decision made by the NBA on, on what's to come for Sarver. I think in a way it still could hover over them because, uh, you know, there's been some questions. I think it was Howard Beck that asked Adam Silver at the board of governors meeting, you know, how, what's the difference between Robert Sarver and Donald Sterling. And I think that, uh, you know, time will still tell on what'll, uh, happen with Sarver looking ahead. Um, I, I think the DeAndre Ayton restricted free agency, uh, the tensions that built up over last season when they were trying to win a title almost seemed uh, unnecessary because he ended up signing a max offer sheet and Phoenix matched it incredibly quickly. Um, I think losing JaVale McGee hurts them more than people realize. I know JaVale McGee is kind of known as, you know, the Shaq and a fool guy, but JaVale McGee has become quite a good role player on uh, winning teams uh, in his career. Then I looked at a couple other teams that stuck out to me in particular, Yossi. I looked at, I think Miami losing P.J. Tucker is going to hurt. I, I still think they're a great team, but P.J. Tucker brought that extra edge and toughness to them. And uh, defensively, with some of these guys in the East, you know, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's of the world, uh, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, that's the guy you put on them. Now, you know, you can ask Jimmy Butler to do that, but then you're burning the candle at both ends at that point. So to me, Miami hasn't been able to replace P.J. Tucker. And I think Minnesota, while Minnesota, the, while the Minnesota Timberwolves improved in the short term by getting Rudy Gobert most notably, I think the 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 picks that they gave up were monumental and it set in my opinion unrealistic expectations to compete for a championship you know you heard carl anthony towns talking about that um after he signed the extension and and gobert came um i don't know if they're there yet i I don't think so to be honest i think you know they're not on a golden state phoenix level yet um and I think they got their first taste of it. This seemed like a move that, again, is going to make them better now. But I don't know about how long in the future. We saw Rudy Gobert when he was with Utah, how teams would attack him in the playoffs. Um, I'm curious to see if if Chris Finch can draw up anything to combat that. And, you know, and when you talk to executives around the league, they always point to that Rudy Gobert trade as a as a trade that messed up the market quite frankly uh several executives i spoke to felt that minnesota overpaid to get rudy gobert and i i agree i mean they had to do something to get better i just thought that they gave up a lot um and that's one of the reasons it took a while with the donovan mitchell trade talks because once the Market was set for Rudy Gobert. Utah wanted to equal that or get better for Donovan Mitchell. So to me, Yossi, those were the teams that I looked at as off-season losers, uh, at least in my book. Okay, so let me start with the Suns. So you do mention the off-court stuff, and that could definitely play into things on the court. But uh, when, but as far as what they've done for the roster, I actually think they're somewhat winners. For the offseason. So 
they didn't use her mid-level on anybody, but I feel that one, they got Saric back, who he was really important for them in their finals run. And I think could have played a very pretty, like, I'm not saying he would have, you know, won the Dallas series, but like I think he could have made, he could have been very important in that series. So they're going to get him back. Um, so when you mentioned losing McGee, I think part of that, they are com- they were comfortable with that because Sarge is back. He, I, I'm guessing he'll be their primary backup center. And then they also have Biombo. He can uh, do a lot of the things that uh, McGee has done for them. Uh, maybe not quite as good, but he was, he was really good for them last year as well. And I just think like, even though they didn't use the mid-level, they didn't really add any like even like high, super high level role player. I really like, I feel like they got the best minimum signings this year. Uh, every, every year it's someone different. There's like one team that like goes a little harder than others taking minimum players. Like last year was the Warriors they they struggled with almost everybody, and I like what the Suns did, bringing in Damian Lee and Josh Okogie, for example. And I feel like those guys might be good enough to get into the Suns rotation that could make some of the other guys, uh, like Shamit or Craig, uh, maybe Payne, a little more expendable. Maybe they could use those salaries to make some type of deal uh, if those bench players are able to uh have like consistent roles and maybe they can go after some of the guys that utah has i could i feel like a lot of the guys on utah like bojan bogdanovich or mike conley uh just to name a few i feel like those could be some pretty good fits in phoenix off the bench um so i think they're they set themselves up to potentially make some savvy move soon and we'll see because they have all their picks available and you know they have Aiden back. We'll see what how that plays out. If they if you know if something if if a change is needed, he'll be trade eligible in January, and they could probably get some good stuff for him in return. So overall, like I, I quietly like their off season as far as what they've done uh, to the roster. Uh, so Charlotte, yeah, they are definitely probably one of the bigger losers. Obviously, losing Bridges going to hurt them on the court he was their second best player um and now you know they still they they replaced Borrego with Steve Clifford who I'm I'm guessing they want him to bring in some more defensive intensity but the roster's still the same for the most part so I don't really know how they're gonna improve from like having a bottom defense last year uh so I don't know I'm I'm a I'm very just pessimistic about their season in general. I feel like they might be down there with like Indiana or some, and some of the other lower or like Orlando, some of the lower teams in the East. I feel like they're going to, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets like, if they're like one of the worst teams in the East this year. Um, You talk, so Miami, I think they're still very TBD. Obviously if they don't replace Tucker, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Bam and they're going to have to play pretty small at all times. If, they can put Jimmy Butler at the four or Caleb Martin at the four. Um, you know, they, they should still be fine. They'll still rack up wins in the regular season. Uh, I'm sure they'll, if this is the roster that they go into, like it, they'll make it work somehow. Uh, but as far as, you know, getting to the back to the conference finals, anything like that. Yeah. I have some doubts, but we'll see. 
And then Minnesota, yeah. When I when I when that trade happened, like hype, my first thought was like hyperbole. This is one of the worst trades in NBA history. Uh, why they gave up so much? And I, and this is and I'm a guy who vote who if I had a vote, I would have voted Rudy Gobert Defensive Player of the Year five years in a row these past five years. And now, like it's been a couple months since the trade happened, and I still feel somewhat uh, poorly about this deal in Minnesota's side. Uh, they're gonna again, like they'll like like a lot of the uh, teams we mentioned are gonna be a great regular season team from here on out. Um, if now there is definitely some there, there is some upside if the their their starting five can really work. Like if it seems like Kyle Anderson or Jaden McDaniel is gonna be the starting three, which should definitely help with their defense. Uh, they'll have a number. They should have be like top three defense with Gobert, and if they're gonna be playing this big. Uh, then it should it'll be really it should be really really good, uh, and if the one of those guys whoever starts can hit enough threes alongside Cat who makes a lot of uh, Edwards and Russell they're all good shooters and this can be a really like really uh, good team on both ends in the regular season um, as far as the the you know how far they can go in the playoffs we'll see I'm not super excited about their uh, prospects with some of the other tough teams in the West with like Clippers, uh, Warriors, you know, I don't necessarily, we'll see, we'll see what they end up doing. It's going to be a long-term thing to see if this trade was really worth it. Um, But yeah, so those are, I would agree with you for the most of, most of the teams you've listed besides Phoenix. Uh, Any thoughts on that? I mean, I'm sticking with, with, with Phoenix on that. I think, um, you know, you touched on a few teams that you felt were kind of TBD. Some some TBD teams, you know, to be determined uh, grades for the offseason that come to mind for me would be, I think, first off, uh, the Atlanta Hawks with DeJounte Murray. They gave up uh, a decent number of draft picks for him. And the question that everybody has and honestly, you know, some people in Atlanta are uh, looking forward to finding out is how well he and Trey Young can compare together in the backcourt. They wanted to take some of the pressure off of Trey with the ball handling responsibilities and all the eyes of teams on him. Well, they they did that. I'm just curious what a fit it's going to look like. Um, I think Trey's going to be coming off the ball at times and looking to score that way with DeJounte being a playmaker. Um, when Trey has the ball, I'm curious how that would work in the half court set because I don't think of DeJounte as a shooter. Um, so that would be interesting to see. I think um, I, when I look at the the Brooklyn Nets, uh, really, you know, Ben Simmons's return is going to be crucial. Yeah, they keep Kevin Durant, but the trade request was made. There was a lot of... Uh, noise around it and if the team struggles early on you know there's going to be more smoke floating out there around it uh Kyrie Irving did not get a long-term deal you would think he's going to come in motivated more than ever especially in a contract year but we'll see um my biggest thing was the front court um you know you bring back Nicholas Claxton okay I still think they need more in the front court to compete with these teams in the East. Um, 
especially depth wise. Um, other than that, uh, I think I think the Bulls had some nice additions for the depth and the bench with Andre Drummond and Goran Dragic. But to me, their season depends on the health of Alonzo Ball. I think DeMar DeRozan's going to come back down to earth a little bit. But Nikola Vucevic should improve compared to last year. And they also have to have Alex Caruso healthy. Um, the Knicks, you know, I thought they signed Brunson for more than I thought he would get on the open market. Uh, they bring in Isaiah Hartenstein and they keep Mitchell Robinson uh, while extending R.J. Barrett after the Donovan Mitchell trade talks fell through. Uh, to me, they're a to-be-determined team, depending on how Brunson does, what R.J. Barrett looks like. And and same thing for Mitchell Robinson to me. Um, the, those were teams I thought of as uh, kind of to-be-determined. And I guess lastly, I could throw the Nuggets in there because they – Kind of changed the identity a little bit. They got more defensive guys in Contavious Caldwell, Pope, and Bruce Brown, but they lost some key rotation guys in Monte Morris, Will Barton, and Jamichael Green. So I think with the Nets, I would lean more towards like, yeah, TBD, but a little leaning towards losing uh, losers. Um, I it just there's always something happening with them uh, every year, and I. If obviously you can't just trade KD unless you're getting like a really premium package. Uh, but I feel like I just have a hard time seeing like that really like pan out how, as successfully as they hope. Um, so the Knicks, I kind of somehow feel I, I like I've spoken to some Knicks fans about it, and like one of my best friends, he was his whole thing about potentially getting Donovan Mitchell's that he just hoped that they weren't going to give up way too many things, too much assets. Cause the Knicks have all these first round picks. They have like 11 picks. They were able to trade up to eight. Granted, some of those were like uh, super heavily protected, but they had all this stuff and they had a line and they held it. And I kind of feel like there's some, some way like winners for that. I, because I didn't expect the Knicks to, like, historically, they haven't really been that team to hold their lines uh, in negotiations like these. So um, now on the other side, you've got uh, Dallas, who, you know, for the past however long they've had Luka, the whole, every when you're looking at the roster, it's like, okay, who's going to be that second guy? And they're still always going to be looking for that second guy, Wilson Porzingis. But the way Jalen Brunson was playing, he was basically that second guy who's, playing like at an all-star level in the playoffs. And I think, you know, say, say what you will or think about the contract he got with the Knicks. Uh, the way he was playing was definitely worth it. And he just, so, you know, losing him, a lot of it had to do with just some falters along the way when they didn't, I guess they, uh, they reportedly had a couple chances to extend them last season to a very team-friendly deal and didn't. And the original sin of giving him a four-year contract when he was a rookie instead of uh, a three-plus-one. So he could have been a restricted free agent last year, and they would have avoided all this. He would be locked up with them already. But at the same time, I can't, like, call them losers, like, fully, because I feel like they're going to, as long as they have Luca, they're going to find a way out of this. I I thought they were in a pretty bad 
situation heading into last season and they had their best season in over a decade. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm just very optimistic that they're somehow going to find a way to make the roster. Like they are, they have a good, very good roster right now. Losing Brunson will definitely hurt for now, but I'm pretty confident they'll find another guy that can really be that number two for Luke in the future. Uh, like if you look at Cleveland, they, they weren't a team loading up on picks or anything like that. Like the Knicks were, they were just, and they got down of Mitchell largely because they had all their picks and they stepped up. They gave up as much like everything they could. And if you look at most teams in the league, uh, most teams in the league are kind of in a position to do that. They just need to have a little bit of luck. You know, player got to be a little interested in you. And if it's, a, if the player is available, just got to go all in, see all the teams that went all in this off season and Dallas, they're in a position. They could be that team uh, just for the next star. So um, yeah, I'm pretty confident that they'll get, they'll figure out a way uh, to improve upon, get over the loss of Brunson and even improve upon it. Uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any other thoughts on that. I, yeah. Well, I think as you touched on, it's going to be an exciting season coming up. There's a lot of parity in the league, uh, which is going to be fun to watch as it plays out over the course of the season. And uh, no doubt we will be uh, writing plenty about it on Hoopsite, my man. So I'm looking forward to more of your stuff. And I appreciate you joining me to break down some of those winners, losers, and the TBDs of the offseason, my man. It was awesome. It was great to be back. It's gonna. I'm excited to keep making content with you this year. Thanks for joining me, brother. And folks, make sure you're following Yossi on Twitter at Yossi Goslin for all the latest salary cap related info on every NBA transaction. And you'll find some valuable information in his Twitter header with roster spots and salary cap information available for each team. Coming up next, our other Hoops Hype colleague, Dionysus Aravanitos, is going to join me to break down the Eurobasket tournament after a quick break. Welcome back to the Hoops Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Scotto. And joining me now is our Hoops Hype social media manager and Euro Hoops writer, Dionysus Aravantinos. He's going to break down the Eurobasket tournament, which just ended with Spain winning it all over France and Germany finishing in third place. Dion, I appreciate you coming on, my man. How's everything going your way now that Eurobasket is uh, finished? Hey, Michael, thanks so much for having me, first of all. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty exciting uh, tournament, to say the least. Lots of upsets, uh, lots of fights, uh, lots of, uh, you know, people didn't expect uh, Spain to go all the way. But uh, but here we are. And uh, Spain with, uh, with the Hernan Gomez brothers seems that after the Gasol brothers, uh, you know, had a successful stint with the Spanish national team, now they're, they are taking over. And uh, when you didn't expect it at all, and when, you know, in the power rankings before the tournament, Spain wasn't necessarily in the favorites to win the competition, even though you can never write them off, especially in uh, FIBA tournaments, uh, they won it all. So, yeah, uh, it was a pretty exciting uh, tournament. So, yeah, let's get it started. Yeah, Simone Fontecchio broke uh, my heart as well as some of the Italians. We could have we maybe went a little further. But, you know, Dion, when you look at, 
which players stood out the most during Eurobasket. You, you touched on the Hernan Gomez brothers. Uh, I agree with you. William Wancho, Hernan Gomez stuck out to me. I think Finland's Lowry Markinen uh, really put himself on the map with this tournament for maybe the casual fan. And I think he's poised to have a potential breakout year in Utah, given all the roster changes they've had. Uh, Germany's Dennis Schroeder played well enough to get a new deal now and return to the Los Angeles Lakers. I jokingly touched on Simone Fontecchio, but he's also going to get a chance in Utah. And uh, one of my former Nets that I used to cover, uh, Bosnia's John and Musa looked uh, looked good in the tournament. And the last guy that stood out to me in particular, Dion, was Franz Wagner. I thought uh, he looks like he's ready to take the next step with the Orlando Magic. I thought he looked good taking the ball off the dribble. And I'm excited to see if that's going to be incorporated in his game with Orlando. Uh, for you being around this tournament uh, on a very consistent basis and and providing a lot of updates, you know, obviously Mark Stein giving you a couple of shout outs on Twitter. Who who stuck out to you the most when you looked at this Euro basket tournament? Uh, and maybe if there were any guys under the radar. Yeah, so all those guys that you mentioned had uh, had great tournaments, uh, but especially, yeah, I would say as far as breakout, I would say Larry Markkinen is definitely the guy that you watch and you say, oh, he's going to perhaps do big things in Utah now with a different kind of role maybe, uh, but I guess we'll see uh, this upcoming season. But uh, Lowry was was phenomenal with uh, with Finland, and we've seen that before uh, in the previous Eurobasket with Finland as well. He was uh, much younger then; it was five years ago, but still he was a beast uh, with uh, with his national team, and he averaged uh, 27.9 points per game um, this uh, Eurobasket, and he got his team to the quarterfinals, uh, where they played against uh, the champions, the eventual champion Spain. Uh, so yeah, he he, he averaged uh, 27.9 points on uh, on extremely well shooting. He was uh, shooting uh, 54% uh, from the field, uh, 40% from downtown, and 90% from the free throw line. So he was in the 50, 40, 90, 90 club, which in Europe's standards it's very difficult to do. Uh, he also had the eight rebounds per game, 2.4 assists, and only 1.4 turnovers. Game, so you see that from his stats and only his stats, um, he was much more engaged in the team's offense because he was obviously the focal point. Uh, and he got Finland to the to the quarterfinals, which again, not enough people expected uh, Finland to reach that far. Um, you also mentioned Willie and uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and uh, in the in the Eurobasket final, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez played like Bo Cruz, <laughs> literally like Bo Cruz. Uh, he he balled out. He was the MVP of the final against uh, France, and uh, he had 27 points and seven three pointers, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was balling out, and uh, Willie Hernan Gomez obviously won the Most Valuable Player award of the entire entire tournament, and uh, he was also one of those players that. You you see that with um, his uh, national team, he's a bit you know a bit more engaged in the team's offense, and because everything goes uh, through him. Um, as far as the other guys that you mentioned, uh, Dennis Schroeder was obviously phenomenal. He was by far, in my opinion, the best guard in the tournament, and he 
obviously uh, deservingly so got that uh, contract from the Lakers. Uh, he was phenomenal. He averaged 22 points and seven assists per game, and he obviously, you know, broke my heart a little bit in the in the quarterfinal against my Greece. Uh, but but he was he was phenomenal. It was uh, it was incredible to watch. And um, but yeah, and obviously you mentioned uh, Franz Wagner as well, and I hundred percent agree that he's ready to take that next step. We saw that in his uh, rookie season with Orlando as well that he was one of those young exciting international players to watch but through that tournament we saw that you know he, he's taking that next step and he has confidence he 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 was shooting uh step back threes uh not being scared of the moment taking it to Yanis Antetokounmpo a few times in their matchup as well um but yeah uh he was uh, he was also phenomenal as, as well um as far as the other guys um, that you mentioned, uh, Zanan Musa obviously is another player uh, to watch. And uh, with Bosnia, uh, especially in the group stage, he surprised a lot of people as well. Um, and then obviously you had the big three. I'm talking about Yanis uh, Adetokounmpo, of course, Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic, that even though both, all three actually, players played uh, amazing basketball, Yanis also was part of the... Uh, all your basket team. Um, their teams uh, basically let them down in crucial moments. Uh, so you saw Serbia getting kicked out uh, of the tournament by Italy in the round of 16, while um, Greece and Slovenia got upset uh, in the quarterfinals against, on paper at least, poorer opponents, let's say. Uh, but you saw with Yanis that they they built a wall. Like uh, I, I I didn't see that type of defense that Germany played against Yanis uh, Antetokounmpo for I think at least three years. I remember the last time that Yanis struggled uh, was in the Toronto was in the Toronto series in 2019, and uh, Germany's defense reminded me of uh, of of the Raptors back in 2019. So so you saw that these players, even though they put up astronomical numbers, uh, especially for Europe, uh, their team didn't necessarily help them in terms of, you know, getting it to the to the end. And we're talking about those three teams because beforehand they were the favorites to win it all. And, you know, what's interesting, you talked about building a wall. I, I immediately thought of Stan Van Gundy when he was with the Detroit Pistons making that comment. If you don't know, uh, for those listening, go listen to it on YouTube. It's a pretty funny viral video. Um Anybody else, uh, Dion, that stuck out to you when you looked at uh, this tournament at all? Um, before we get into which teams, which you kind of alluded to, but some teams did disappoint so far. Yeah, I would say uh, Simone Fontecchio, uh, who Americans, I'm not sure if they have seen him play because he was obviously playing overseas uh, in the year like the last uh, few years. He, he he looks ready to play in the NBA and he, he deservingly got the NBA contract, in my opinion. And he's ready to, you know, I'm not saying be a star in the league, but at least give some valuable, uh, some valuable minutes to his team. Um, and also Lorenzo Brown. Lorenzo Brown is an American who was a, a natural, a naturalized player who played for Spain. And in many people's eyes, he should have won the most valuable player award of the tournament because he helped Spain uh, win the gold medal and he put up crazy numbers as well. So he, he, if I'm not mistaken, he was one of the uh, 
uh, he was the first player in Eurobasket history to finish with a double-double in uh, the Eurobasket final since I think the 60s, the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So he was instrumental as well. Um, he plays overseas in the Euroleague as well, but he's also a guy uh, to keep an eye on. And many Americans, including players from uh, from teams in the Euroleague, were basically tweeting throughout the tournament that Lorenzo Brown deserves a shot in the NBA. Um, but yeah, as far as the other guys, uh, I don't think we're forgetting someone, at least uh, from, you know, uh, right now. Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert was actually another player who in the group stage didn't necessarily live up to his standards, but when it mattered most, and especially in do or die games in the knockout phase uh, with France, he he showed up and uh, in two clutch overtime games, he basically was uh, instrumental on both ends of the court. He wasn't necessarily that good in the Eurobasket final, but uh, throughout the tournament, he he showed what why, especially he's one of the best defenders in the world. Uh, you better be. Minnesota certainly gave up a lot for him, as as we touched on earlier in the podcast with uh, Yossi Goslin and I. But um, when you look at the the tournament, Dion, and and you think of the teams that kind of underwhelmed a little bit, that were a little bit disappointing. Um, anyone, uh, anyone in particular teams that uh, stick out to you? And and lastly, I would say, just as we touch on players that. Uh, that did well. Shout out to uh, Sfee Mikhailu for getting uh, a partially guaranteed deal with the New York Knicks. Uh, you know, looking forward to seeing uh, him. I'm not surprised, uh, you know, after uh, his time ended with Toronto that he would get another shot with another team. Uh, good for him. Yeah, he was uh, he was the best player for for Ukraine. Uh, this year of basket, and he definitely deserves to be in the league, no question about that. But for for what you you asked before, I would say the, those three teams with uh, with the three superstars, uh, Serbia, Slovenia, and Greece, those were the three teams that underperformed. Like given the circumstances, given the fact that all three superstars were there to help their team, you know, reach the final or win it all. And were on paper considered the favorites to go all the way, they underperformed. Serbia got knocked out uh, from the round of 16, while Greece and Slovenia uh, got knocked out in the in the quarterfinals. But uh, as we as we talked um, earlier and before the podcast off air, I think it's important to note how easy, uh, in quotations, it's. Uh, it's for a Eurobasket upset to happen, and uh, the reason I'm saying about the reason I'm talking about that is because uh, the format is totally different to the NBA. It reminds me of the NCAA March Madness uh, format because you have uh, basically the group stage at first, um, and then from the round of 16 up until the final, it's one game. It's one game, do or die, uh, elimination game. So Serbia basically blew a double-digit lead in their game in the round of 16 against Italy. Italy took advantage of it. They were unstoppable. Uh, Nikola Jokic, for some reason, played only 28 minutes in that game, uh, which I found which I found extremely interesting and extremely, you know, uh, <laughs> crazy, in my opinion. And uh, in the other games, uh, Greece, you know, with the wall that Germany built against Giannis Adetokounmpo, um, struggled to hit perimeter shots while uh, Germany basically every single shot they took <laughs> was uh, was going in. Um, 
What's also interesting to note is the fact that there are a few key um, differences in the officiating. Um, in the Eurobasket, the Euroleague and the European basketball in general, there is no three-second defensive uh, violation. So it's easier, as you can imagine, to build a wall against a player uh, like Giannis uh, Adelokounmpo. So, you know, you can stick in the paint as long as you want, uh, which is easier, obviously, to, to build a wall and make Giannis hit perimeter shots. He didn't make... Uh, those shots in the in the game against Germany, his teammates didn't make uh, those shots in the game against Germany as well, so they ended up falling short. Uh, and the last game, um, which is considered one of the greatest upsets in uh, Eurobasket history, uh, Poland um, made extremely, uh, you know, uh, the headlines that Poland made was uh, were incredible because they basically beat Slovenia out of the blue where no one uh, expected it. Uh, Mateusz Ponitka, another guy who performed well in the Eurobasket, finished uh, the game with a triple-double. Uh, he became the fourth or third player in Eurobasket history to register a triple-double, which was uh, extremely impressive. While Luka Doncic, even though he was injured, he had to get an injection to continue playing. Um, and besides that, he got into foul trouble and uh, he picked up his fifth foul, which in Europe, uh, you're done for the night if you pick five fouls. Um, and basically, then uh, Poland managed to to defeat uh, Slovenia and advance to the semifinals. So I would say that if if there was another format or a series, you know, such as the NBA, then uh, Greece, Slovenia, and Serbia would have made it much further in the tournament. But uh, because obviously it's a three week tournament, you cannot do that. So the best team doesn't always win. Um, but that's obviously no knock against the uh, the other three teams that managed to pull off uh, a great upset and uh, advance to the to the later rounds. Now you touched on a little bit how some players were tweeting about Lorenzo Brown as a guy that could get a shot in the NBA. So when you look at all these talented guys that were in the EuroBasket tournament, um, any and 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 our colleague Alberto De Roa has had a a list of former NBA players that have signed overseas. I'm curious regarding the Euro League and other international leagues, any guys you're keeping an eye on that played in this tournament that could either go uh, to the NBA or uh, sign with the new team overseas that you're keeping an eye on right now? Yeah, so obviously the, the easy choice and... Uh to go with the easy answer would be for me to give you Vasilya Micic, obviously, because he he, he was very good uh, for Serbia. He has been the best player in Europe uh, for the past two years. Uh, he, he was the EuroLeague Final Four MVP. He was the EuroLeague MVP. Uh, he made the EuroLeague All-EuroLeague all, all EuroLeague team twice. Um, and so he he's obviously a guy who definitely deserves to play in the NBA. And in my opinion, he, he would have been a very good backup guard uh, with with a lot of minutes played in a in a very good team um it didn't happen this uh, this summer because obviously his rights belong to the Oklahoma City Thunder which are in uh, a rebuilding mode uh, but i would definitely keep an eye on him even though he's he's getting older uh, i would definitely keep an eye on him because i think that uh, hands down it's the number one choice and he deserves to be playing in the nba uh, the guy we mentioned earlier, Janan Musa, 
is also another guy to keep an eye on. He's, he signed a contract with uh, Real Madrid. Um, but he's uh, definitely another another guy to keep an eye on uh, because he, he played in the NBA a few years ago. And uh, besides that, he, he, he balled out in the, in the tournament. And he's still very young. Um, besides those two, uh, we saw that Costas Adetokounmpo, the brother of uh, Giannis, got a training camp deal with, uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Um, I think he could be potentially a guy who's going to fight for that two-way contract uh, with a team such as uh, Chicago and give, you know, perhaps have a Thanasa de Dokumbo kind of role as, as his brother has in the, uh, in the backs uh, in, in Milwaukee. Um, but uh, besides the players who played in the, in the EuroLeague, um, in the EuroBasket, excuse me, I would say Mike James, uh, Shane Larkin, who also played uh, in the tournament, are guys uh, that Americans and uh, you know people who are watching the NBA should definitely take a look at uh, this season in the in the year league because I think they are talents that deserve to be playing in the in the NBA. And then obviously Lorenzo Brown, we saw him performing excellent in the in the year basket. He's another guy to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, overall, ah, and then uh, I forgot to mention, I think he's, he's one of the most uh, interesting uh, choices as well. Uh, Alexander Vezenkov, who plays uh, in Greece for Olympiakos, uh, he's also a guy to keep an eye on. He had a fantastic uh, tournament with Bulgaria, uh, not a very good team. They only won, I think, one game in the Eurobasket, but he balled out. He, he was, uh, I think, third in scoring with uh, 27 points per game. He got 12 rebounds per game, which I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, were Eurobasket. Uh, he was leading the Eurobasket in rebounds. Um, and he had a breakout year last year with, uh, with Olympiakos. Um, his rights belong to the Kings. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings actually pick him up next year if he continues uh, performing well for, for one of the most uh, decorated clubs in, uh, in Greece and uh, Europe as well. Um, so yeah, those guys uh, should definitely be considered by NBA teams. And I think that we're going to see uh, some of them in the NBA in the near future for sure. Well, Dion, I certainly appreciate your insight overseas. I know it's uh, late at night your way right now, but appreciate the time, my man. Um, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Oh, you got it. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coach, executives, and media members such as our own Yossi Gaslin and Dionysus Aravantinos, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Yossi and Dion too. Yossi is at Yossi Goslin and Dionysus is at Aravantinos DA. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. <laughs>